So welcome to the nonpartisan Red Pill Men's Group, where women are, of course, welcome. And today, we're going to be talking about human mating strategies, and mostly we're talking about women's breeding strategies and the ways that women breed for the best genes and and um, provisioning and so forth. So the way to get into these meetings and to join this discussion is to go to tinyurl.com slash redpillmen and register for our monthly discussion. Uh, next month, month, we're going to be talking about sexual buffers. And um, let's see, when is that meeting next month? That would be on the 4th there of February. So look forward to seeing you um, then. And um, so... What I do in this is I'm just riff off this book here. I want to see if I can get that book in there. I don't know if I can. It's called The Rational Male by Rolo Tomasi. And we're doing a book study on that. And the only thing that I'm doing here is re reading the book, riffing off the text, and um, trying to get... Uh, and then after I have read the small section that we're reading and go over it a little bit, talk a little bit about it. Then we open it up for discussion, for questions and answers. And at that point, it would be nice, you know, to turn on your camera if you're going to be um, speaking so that we can um, see your beautiful face and have that. Because what I do is produce this into a podcast and a video podcast, 30 minutes long. And, um, and you can find that at, well, the Truth and Democracy Coalition, but also the Nonpartisan Red Pill Men's Group YouTube page, and also on Podbean and other places where you get your podcast. So, um, and uh, let's see. And I, so I'm just going to read from the text, and then I'm going to open it up for discussion, and that's the way it works. So, if any, um, so let's just begin here. So schedules of mating, and this is what he's talking about here. This is the opening paragraph. There are methods and social conventions women have used for centuries to ensure that the best male genes are selected and secured with the best male provisioning she's capable of attracting. And ideally, the best man should exemplify both, but rarely do the two exist in the same man? So he's talking about the alpha and the beta here, I believe. So in the interest of achieving her biological imperative, which I believe is to secure the genes of the best, and this behavior, even though it's about securing genes, it, types of behavior continues into even past child-rearing age. It's, these are the behaviors that that come up. So in the interest of achieving her biological imperative and prompted by innate need for security, the feminine as a whole had developed social conventions and methodologies which change as her environment and personal conditions do. And I think that's key to this effect. Not only are men up against a female genetic imperative, but also centuries-old feminine in social conventions established and adapted from a time long before human beings 
could accurately determine genetic origins. So he's saying is that these conventions that he's saying that they can change, and this is what I think, and I would have a disagreement with him with some of the red pill and some of what he says when he contradicts that, but also that um, these things are centuries old and We'll talk more about that. The social conventions that we have include, and he's going to talk about this right here. Um, mate selection is a psychobiological function that millennia of evolution has hardwired into the psyches of both sexes. So internalized and socialized is this process into our collective unconsciousness that we rarely recognize we're subject to these motivations, even when we repeatedly manifest the same behaviors prompted by them. For the species to survive, it must provide its offspring with the best possible conditions to ensure its survival. Either that or to reproduce in such quantity that it ensures survival. And we see that in, in nature as well. The application for this, of this for women is sharing parental investment with the best possible mate she can attract who can provide long-term security for her and any potential offspring. So thus women are biologically, psychologically, and socio sociologically the filters of their own reproduction. Where a man's Reproductive methodology is to scatter as much of his genetic material as humanly possible to the widest pool of sexually available females. He, of course, has his own criteria for mating selection and determining the best genetic pairing for his reproduction, but his criteria is certainly less discriminating than that of women. Healthy men possess between 12 and 17 times the amount of testosterone, the primary hormone in sexual arousal um, than women and women do, and women produce substantially more estrogen, which is instrumental in sexual caution, he says, and oxy, ox, oxytocin, I don't want to say it right, fostering feelings of security and nurturing than what men have. And for women to best ensure the survival of her offspring, a man must necessarily abandon his method of reproduction in favor of her own. So, yeah, so he's saying men are more sexual and will spread their seed, and that's their strategy. But they have to give that up to conform to female social conventions. Now, a male must sacrifice his reproductive schedule to satisfy that of the woman he pairs with. And he calls these the rudiments of human sexual selection and reproduction. So they're this is rudimentary. He says, obviously there are many other social, emotional, and psychological intricacies, uh, intricacies that are associated with these fundamentals, but these are the underlying motivation and considerations that subconsciously influence sexual selection. So there's, these are not always conscious behaviors. We're not, con women are, and particularly here we're talking about women, women are not conscious of these um, 
behaviors necessarily and won't necessarily recognize them. So um, he talks here about um, social conventions. To counter this subconscious dynamic to their own genetic advantage, women initiate social conventions and psychological schemas to better facilitate their own breeding method methodologies. This is why women always have the prerogative to change their mind, and the most fickle of behaviors become socially excusable. While men's behavior is constrained to a higher degree of responsibility to do the right thing, which is invariably to the advantage of women's reproductive strategy. That is why guys who are players and fathers who abandon mothers to pursue their innate reproduction method are villains, and fathers who selflessly sacrifice themselves financially, emotionally, and life decision-wise, even to the benefit of children they didn't father, are considered social heroes for complying with women's genetic imperatives. And I think we talked about this last month um, in the struggle between exclusive and non-exclusive dating and how women will demonize men who date non-exclusively. Um, and um, so that's part of that um, psychological, social convention, justification, and pressure on men that men can't really know that it's wrong, but don't know what to say about it is what he says later. So good dads versus good genes. The the two greatest difficulties for women to overcome in their own mythology is that they are only at a sexually viable peak for a short window of time, and the fact that the qualities that make a good long-term partner, the good dad, and the qualities that make for good breeding stocks, such as good genes, only rarely manifest themselves in the same male. I don't know. Provision, I know that the alpha and the beta sort of sometimes, I don't know if that's true, but provisioning and security potential are fantastic motivators for pairing with a good dad with the same characteristics that make him such a make him such are generally a disadvantage when compared with the man who better exemplifies genetic physical attraction and the risk-taking qualities which would imbue her child with a better capacity to adapt to its environment and is stronger faster more attractive than others to ensure the passing of their own genetic material to future generations and he calls this, you know, the, the jerk versus the nice guy paradox. Women and men innately, though unconsciously, understand this dynamic. So in order for a woman to have the best that the good dad has to offer while taking advantage of the best that the good genes man has, she must invent and constantly modify social conventions to keep the advantage in her biological favor and in accordance with her pluralistic sexual strategy. So we're seeing that, right? We're seeing that right now. We're seeing how women have fashioned strategies and are pressuring men in certain ways and how entitled they become to certain things, but also how they use um, social conventions um, as a form of, to pressure men into conforming to what they, um, their strategy 
which protects them from being hurt and benefits them, but doesn't benefit men. So women and by default men must subscribe to short-term and long-term schedules of mating. Short-term schedules facilitate breeding with the good genes male, while long-term breeding is reserved for the good dad male. The convention and the psychosocial schemas that accompany it are precisely why women will marry the nice, stable, loyal doctor guy and still have sex with the pool boy or the surfer that they meet on spring break, he says. In our genetic past, a male with good genes implied an ability to be a good provider, but modern convention has thwarted this, so new social and mental schemas had to be developed for women. So in some ways, you know, it has to change, so it can change in the future. So this idea that women can't change, um, and women, well, the question really is, will women change? Not whether they can't, they probably can't, but will they? So, and he talks about cheating here. For this dynamic and the practicality of enjoying the best of both genetic worlds, women find it necessary to cheat. The cheating can be done proactively or reactively. In the reactive model, a woman who has already paired with her long-term partner chooses to engage in an extramarital affair or extra-pairing sexual intercourse with a short-term partner. That's not to say that the short-term opportunity can't develop into a second long-term mate, but the action of infidelity itself is a method for securing genetic stock than the committed male provider is capable of supplying. Proactive cheating is the single mom dilemma. The form of cheating relies on the woman breathing with a good genes male Bearing his children, then abandoning him or having him abandon her, again through social conventions, in order to find a good dad male to provide her and the children, her children, for good genes partner to ensure their security. So the good dad, this is what he's going to refer to as cockle, and the good dad takes care of the good genes guy's kid. And this can be, you know, a single mother, but this also happens in relationships, as he said, in the reactive model. Most women do not have some consciously constructive and recognized master plan to enact the cycle and deliberately trap men into it. Rather, the motivations for this behavior and the company's social rationales invented to justify it are an unconscious process. For the most part, women are unaware of this dynamic, but are nonetheless subject to its influence. For a female of any species to facilitate a methodology for breathing with the best genetic partner she's able to attract and to ensure his own and her offspring's survival with the best provisioning partner is an evolutionary jackpot. And then he talks, expands on that and talks about cockle tree and on some level of consciousness, men innately, innately sense something is wrong with this situation. So they may not be able to place why they feel it or misunderstand it in the confusions of women's justifications for it. So women, man, last week, last month, we saw that. Interrupt me, 
try not to let me talk, act like they, they're the authority, you know, use shaming tactics, you know, all to try and obfuscate what they're doing both to you and to themselves. Cockolds saddled with the responsibility of raising and providing for, no matter how involved or uninvolved, another man's successful reproduction efforts with his woman. Men often fall into the role of proactive or reactive cockold. He would never enjoy the same benefits as his mate's short-term partners to the same degree and the same sexual desire or immediacy of it, while at the same time enduring the social pressures of having to provide for the good genes father's progeny. It could be argued that he may contribute minimally to their welfare, but on some level, whether emotional, physical, financial, or educational, he will contribute some effort for another man's genetic stock in exchange for a mitigated form of sexual intimacy from the mother. And it is important to bear in mind that in this age, women are ultimately solely responsible for the men they choose to mate with, of course, barring assault, and giving birth to their children. Men do bear responsibility for their actions, no doubt, but it is ultimately the decision of the female and her judgment that decides her and her children's fate. So another one thing he mentions, I've heard him talk about, you know, when people talk, there's birth control, no one should get pregnant, no one should, so a lot of times, some of these things are intentional. So that's it. So um, so what do you guys think? Go ahead, turn on your camera. Has anybody had experiences with this? Or has anybody say, this is BS, you know? You know, some women might say, this is BS, you know? We don't do this crap. But the idea that only, you know, what I'm learning now only that women will always say, well, that's not the right, I'm not that type of woman. It's not true of all women. Not all women do this. Of course, not all women do this. But these are the types of things that women do in breeding. And this might be almost exhaustive in its, in its approach. And um, and so, yeah. Did you have, any, anybody want to make a comment? Hey, Chris. Hey, Eric. Go ahead. Hi. Can um, you turn your camera? Is that okay? Um. Okay. Well, I don't, I look kind of like, okay. yes, I don't know how to, um, just a second. Um, you don't, don't mind to, you don't want to. He's in the middle of like background cleaning. Okay. okay. You look great, by the way. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, I got my bracelet. I forgot. Um, so, hi. Um, I'm new hi. to this. Sorry, I was late. But just from what I heard, um, at first, I was thinking, what? We're not all like that. Like you have said, like, yeah, that sounds like BS. But then, you know, I re I was reacting on emotion in my thinking. But then when you said, but then when you, at the end, when you said, um, it's ultimately up to us now that it's, it's, that we're choosing the men mm -hmm. that we're with. And that is true because I I know I have friends that come from old traditional families where they still arrange marriages and or introductions in hopes and they pressure, you know, maybe not as much as back then, but still happens today in this country. You know, it still happens. Um, but yes, I do 
I do agree that I do. Well, I think that, um, well, I know because I'm a woman and mm-hmm. I haven't chosen the best of men. But yes, at the end of the day, I always say like it's not everybody wants to blame someone mm-hmm. but themselves. Mm-hmm. And because they don't want to see that ugly truth or whatever truth that is theirs, mm-hmm. they don't want to accept. And I get it because I was there too. I'm not trying to say for all those, like it took me two trials with the baby daddy. Okay. To like think, and everyone asked me, why would you go back the first time? Why would you keep going back? And it's like, well, I come from a family of unit and I thought I was doing everything I was supposed to do. And I thought I was supposed to fight for our family. I didn't realize that I was until later after trial one, then it led to two. Um, that you have to love yourself first so you know your worth and then you can know what is acceptable to you for love and what isn't what's right or wrong like what makes you feel right or wrong and so i agree with i it is ultimately at the end of the day unless you know we're being harmed to make a decision or something but other than that it's our decision Mm -hmm. who we're with whether it's good or bad, it's it's our accountability too. It's right. not just all them. Yeah, or I the think, woman. Yeah. yeah, I think it's important to for women to take a, accountability because it's been an issue. But I, I appreciate what you're what you're saying. I'm wondering if you're if the baby daddy is um is sort of maybe um a good genes guy, but not a good marriage guy. I think. I know what you mean, like um, like a good husband, but a bad dad, or a bad or a good dad and a bad husband. No, is that more, what you mean? No, more good, like person. Sex. Good, no, good, good, attractive sex, sex, oh. good, good, sexy. Mean um, wise, okay, yes. Yeah, versus a sure. guy who's got the got the dough, or or is going to be there for you. He's going to take care of your kids, be a good father, nice. Maybe this guy isn't that nice of a guy, but he's he's got six-pack abs, or he's tough, or he's a um, bad boy. Or he had ambition, is what it was. So, yeah. like, ambition is a good drive. You know, ambition can drive people to good or bad. Um, yeah. Some people can start off with good, but then end up in a dark path. Mm-hmm. But hopefully find their way out because of the good or some good left around them or in them. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to think that everybody has some kind of good genes somewhere. Yeah. Maybe they weren't like polished or um, pronounced or encouraged. Or maybe they're trying to suck all the, the good genes left out of somebody, you know. Mm-hmm. But I want to believe that everyone does somewhere, even in the most horrid person, somewhere, somewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. somewhere mm-hmm. in there yeah. um but yeah yeah well th- thank you clarissa and if you, you pop back up if you have any other comments anything else you want to say okay okay thank you thank you all right so i see that um chris go ahead and unmute hi there hi chris you how you me? doing good hi good thank you Thank You're you. Welcome. And um, I, um, yeah, I actually wanted to ask the females that 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 a question that um, based on what you were saying and what Clarissa was saying, just 
the the thing about I I've never been really good at um getting dates and finding, you know, getting phone numbers and I'm I you know, once I do I'm able to kind of like stay in a relationship. I actually haven't been able to stay in them that long, you know, a few years, but um I don't have that attractive thing that that gets women to easily you know, do uh hook up with me and that kind of thing. I'm not good at that at all. I'm a good provider and I'm and I'm loyal. And I'm wondering from the females in this group, what um are are those things often whatever attracts you to, to be together with a man in the beginning or to hook up with them or to have sex with them? Are those often um different from the things uh, or, or sometimes or often not in the same man who's going to be a good husband, provider, and a, a father to, to children, um, are, are those often not in the same people in your yeah. experience? Yeah, because I don't know. Do you, want to, do you want to address that, Clarissa? Okay, or Nicole? Um, well, just quickly, I would say that... Uh, I always, I don't, I, I'm kind of weird in a way because I always thought I was asexual, meaning, um, I guess I just thought every man out there was just out for, I just assumed they were just all one and they all thought the same and they all just wanted the same thing. Um, then as I got older, you know, I started dating and everything and in my twenties and I'm in my forties now. So, but in my twenties, yes, looks caught your attention first, at least for me, um, looks Yes, but not necessarily muscle heads and things like that. It was more, for me, it was um, emotional intelligence and also intellectual stimulation. I needed more intellectual stimulation than I did physical by the way they look. If they happen to look like Clark Kent and then Superman at night, that's a win-win, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's like, it doesn't happen usually. Um because your Clark Kent, no matter what, is always your Superman. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have to dress in a cape and get all buffed in a suit. And he's, he's like, here, here I am. It's like, no, that was you with the glasses. I like you with the glasses. So I think that depending on women experiences and um, their view just on men in general has a major influence on what drives them to attraction, especially with now with money. Like, I don't, people think they look at me when, well, not now, but like when I'm have to, you know, go to an event or something and they're like, oh, you just want a man with money. And, oh, I'm sorry. I don't have that. And this, that it's like, well, that just turned me off because I actually thought you were cute. You know, I actually thought I was, you were funny, humor, intelligence, and especially emotional intelligence, because we see a lot of mantrams now, like men having tantrums, we call them mantrams. And I know girls have it too. It's not just for men, but I'm just seeing like, um, and look gene wise. So I would think that looking back now, I wish I was more, I wish I would fallen my fallen for my true beliefs instead of what I was being pressured mm -hmm. into doing. So sometimes family pressure or friends pressure, also can influence you know if you let them of course if you let them like in your head does have some kind of influence and in, you know picking a man for a family man or just someone you're dating but at the end of the day I think especially now with all these apps the dating apps and the swiping 
and all of that is just I never did that. I did it for an experiment like 20, 15 years ago, but that was just to see what it was like. Um, it was more just because I was I just wanted to see what it was like, I guess, and I didn't like it. But um, I think overall, we all just want what men want too mm -hmm. a trusting partner, you know, um, that we love inside and out. Can you can you tell me, Carissa? You mentioned mantrums, and you said oh, we're calling, and we're calling that now. So is that sort of a thing now, mantrums? And what what are they? Okay, well, I kind of made that up along the way, but if you hear that, anybody, I, I started, and it's not a bad thing because <laughs> I'm trying to find one for women too, because women have they act we act out too in our own ways. I just don't know a word for that yet, but yeah, tantrums. So that's like when a man. Um, you see him acting out like if the little boy didn't get what he wanted, like, oh, he didn't invite me to the party, uh, you know, or that's my, or even if like a big brother teasing like a little sister, uh -huh. you know, little, and then you see them like, you know, uh, older men, you know, 40, 30, 40s, 50s, 60s, even 60s, 70s, okay, like all, all range, and you just see them acting out, and I'm, and I'm thinking, wow. That reminds me of my daughter when she was, even as a teenager, <laughs> they yeah, act yeah. out. And I'm thinking, wow, that's kind of, but they don't even realize, even my dad, like, has a mantra. Like, the Cowboys are playing right now, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he's all, oh, my God. And I'm like, calm down, okay? Like, calm down. And then, um, but then, yeah, mantra, like, if a man just doesn't get what he wants when he wants it, he acts out. 